Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, featuring guest experts from such global brands as NASA, Salesforce, the Milwaukee Bucks, Staples Professional, IBM, Mutual of America, Zero, and Simon Sinek Inc. The show offers expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to grow and sustain employee performance. Hello and welcome to another episode of the People and Performance Podcast. This is your co-host Bill Bannum. Chris Bjorling is away this week. In this episode, we hear from Jacob Morgan, a multiple best-selling author, TED and keynote speaker, professionally trained futurist, and the founder of the Future of Work University. Jacob is a professionally trained futurist, keynote speaker, and the international best-selling author of five books that focus on leadership, the future of work, and employee experience. His passion and mission is to create great leaders, engaged employees, and future-ready organizations. His work has been endorsed by the CEOs of such companies as Unilever, Cisco, MasterCard, Nestle, Best Buy, SAP, KPMG, T-Mobile, Audi, and many, many more. Jacob has also contributed to and been cited in publications such as Cosmopolitan, The Wall Street Journal, CNN, USA Today and the Harvard Business Review. You can learn more about Jacob and get access to his content by visiting thefutureorganization.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Jacob. Jacob Morgan, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the People and Performance podcast today. Thank you for having me. So you and I have spoken on the HR chat pod before, but uh, never on this show. So why don't you start by introducing yourself to our audience? Sure. Uh, So my name is Jacob Morgan, obviously. And uh, for people who are not familiar with me or my work, which, you know, I fully accept is probably uh, quite a lot of people in the world. uh, I'm working on it. But um, I got started in this space around 15 years ago where I had terrible jobs working for other people. And the last job that I had uh, or one of the last jobs I had was when an executive at an organization I was working at made me go get him coffee. And ever since then, I've been interested and fascinated in how to create organizations where we have great leaders, where we have engaged employees, and when we have future-ready organizations. And so I've been doing a lot of speaking. I've been doing a lot of writing, creating content, and really doing my best to, to share stories and any any research and insights on how we can create a world where we all want to show up to work and where we have leaders we want to work with. The People and Performance Podcast, supported by Fidelo Inc., is dedicated to offering tips and expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to establish, grow, and measure the performance of employees. If you enjoy the show, why not subscribe and give us five stars through your favorite podcast app? Okay, well, let's go down that line of uh, having leaders that you want to work with who inspire you, who improve your performance and such. In a recent LinkedIn article, Jacob, you offer up four key traits that innovative leaders possess. Can you run through those with us now? Sure. So those are not actually um, mine. This is, um, I interviewed somebody and this was their their research. And I believe you're referring to the article that I put up from uh, Todd Kajdan. 
And Todd Cashton is a researcher and he is a uh, professor at, I believe, George Mason University. And he does a lot of work on, um, on curiosity. And he found that the four traits are joyous exploration, deprivation, sensitivity, and openness, uh, openness to others' ideas, and stress tolerance. And basically, the four things are joyous exploration is kind of having time to explore, you know, the joy of curiosity and, and play. Deprivation sensitivity is the idea where you recognize the, you know, where you are with your knowledge or information, where you want to go, and that there's a gap and you're trying to close it. Openness to other ideas is exactly what it sounds like, being open to other people's ideas. And stress tolerance is acknowledging that, you know, curiosity has a certain level of stress with it because you're trying to learn something, you're trying to close a gap and being able to kind of manage and deal with that stress. And so the leaders out there who have those four characteristics um, tend to be more innovative inside of organizations than those who don't. Do you think that innovation always starts from the top? It's a top-down process. I think I already know your answer to this. Um, or uh, can employees actually shape the company culture and drive higher performance? Well, I think it comes from both places, right? I mean, leaders need to lead by example. They need to give their employees the opportunity to make mistakes. They need to not punish failure. They need to focus on lessons learned and what those learning moments are. But at the same time, employees need to take the accountability to try new things, to suggest ideas, to get out of their comfort zone. So I don't think it's one or the other, because even if you have a leader who encourages innovation, if you as an employee are not comfortable doing those things, you're not going to innovate. Similarly, if you as an employee are comfortable getting out of your comfort zone and taking risks, but you get punished every time you make a mistake, you're not going to innovate. So it needs to be a top down and a bottom up. I would agree with that. Okay, I've got a long quote from you now. So bear with me. There's a question at the end. And it's uh, from a post that I found, a recent post by you on LinkedIn. Um, the quote goes as follows. Creating clear work-life boundaries is crucial for maintaining balance and reducing stress. One effective strategy is using physical cues to signify when you transition between work and personal life. For me, having a sign on my door that says open during work hours and closed when I'm done provided me with a clear indication of when I should be in work mode and when I should not. The simple act helps you mentally and emotionally shift between different roles without feeling guilty. These practices born from therapy sessions after experiencing panic attacks have been transformative for me in terms of setting boundaries and fostering a healthier work-life integration. Uh, my question for you is, is burnout the biggest threat to high performance? So for me, it wasn't um, burnout. For me, <clears throat> I had a series of panic attacks because I was writing a book about vulnerability, which was not something that I believed in or practiced in any way, shape, or form for pretty much my entire adult life. Um, my parents came from the Republic of Georgia, which, you know, under communist regime, they were persecuted for being Jewish. In that kind of an environment, you're not vulnerable, right? You're not talking about emotions and feelings. My mom tried to model emotional vulnerability and openness, but I grew up as a young boy watching my dad. And my dad always told me, don't show weakness, don't show emotion, you know, uh, nobody cares about your problems. And that's how I lived, that, you know, for, for nearly my entire adult life. And then <clears throat> what happened is I signed the contract for this book. And a few weeks after that, and I, I had a panic attack and my body was freaking out. And that was my body's way of saying, we don't agree or I don't agree with the fact that you are going to explore something deeply and that you are going to be vulnerable when you are not naturally a vulnerable, vulnerable person. 
And my, my brain, my body, my heart, my soul just couldn't come to grips with the fact that I was doing that. Um, now, as far as burnout and a high performance, I mean, I certainly do think it is a real thing. Um, is it the number one thing that hinders high performers? I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I don't know what the, the data or the statistics are on that. And it also depends whether you are an owner or an implementer, right? I mean, I run my own business, so I'm an owner. I don't, sometimes I do get burned out, right? Sometimes I just get exhausted and I have a lot going on. But a lot of the times I really love the work that I'm doing. I enjoy it and I can do it longer than if I was an implementer, meaning that I was taking somebody else's vision and ideas and implementing those. When it's your own ideas, your own vision, your own product, your own service, your own book, um, for me, it's different because you have more of a sense of ownership. But I do acknowledge and respect that for a lot of employees, they don't have that. And burnout can be a very real thing because your task list gets longer, your emails pile up, you are constantly asked to do more with less, there's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Burnout is a real thing. It's important to focus on our well-being. Uh, to do that, I think it requires both parties again. Um, we need employees who are able to set boundaries, who are able to take a step back and to say, uh, you know, I can't attend that 5 a.m. meeting and the 10 p.m. meeting on the same day. We need employees who know how to push back to their leaders. For example, one of the things that you can do if you get sent a bunch of tasks, instead of saying, no, I can't do this, you say, which one of these do you want me to prioritize first? And that forces the other person to identify what those top tasks are, um, as opposed to giving you all of them at once. Uh, leaders also need to take accountability by respecting that their employees have lives. You know, lead by example. Don't send your people emails at 10 o'clock at night or Zoom meetings for 3 a.m. And I think together, if both parties play a role, we could achieve more of, uh, of that um, successful integration and not burn so many people out. Okay, that was a really interesting answer there as to why you were, you were getting those panic attacks. It's almost uh, like you're feeling like there's imposter syndrome going on. Um, so I guess an obvious follow-up question there is, what, what have you done over the course of writing this book to, to try yourself and with your organization, with your colleagues, to lead with more vulnerability? Oh, there have been a lot of things. Um, so there's kind of like personal things that I've done, which are not about leading with vulnerability. They're kind of about um, just taking care of myself. And then there's the leading vulnerability that I've actually been doing with my team. So with my team, I've definitely been more conscientious about talking about mis mistakes, failures, challenges, and struggles, but also telling them, you know, coming up with solutions for it. So the, the whole key here with leading vulnerability is leadership plus vulnerability equals leading with vulnerability. In other words, competence plus connection. Um, and so to give you an example, it's not just about going to your team, especially if you're in a leadership role and saying, hey, I'm really struggling because I have a lot of work going on or I'm really struggling because I don't know the answer to this. It's about, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Here are some ideas that I have on how to solve that problem. Um, what do you think? Or do you have any other suggestions, right? It's adding the leadership piece to it. So I've been very good. In fact, we had a team meeting today and I was telling uh, my team that um, I struggle because I get assigned a lot of different tasks and projects and it can sometimes feel overwhelming. But I didn't just say that. I said, here, here are some ideas that I have for how we can solve that problem. What do you think? And do you have any other ideas? In other words, vulnerability, I'm not just talking about the problem. I'm trying to provide a solution. So if I come to you and I say, hey, I made a mistake, that's vulnerable. 
But leading with vulnerability would be, hey, I made a mistake. Here's what I learned. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure that mistake doesn't happen again. So that is the critical aspect here that we need to remember to focus on um, when we're thinking of those things. So I've been very good with my team about doing that, not just talking about the challenges or failures or struggles, but you know, adding the leadership piece. And in my personal life, there are a few things that I've done. Um, I... Uh, I have a little sign now that says open and closed that kind of mentally allows me to switch off and 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 close work when my kids are home from school. Uh, my wife and I, uh, in the evenings, we talk about how we're feeling. We talk about how we're doing. We talk about emotions, things like that nature to check in with each other. Uh, I do gratitudes with my kids in the morning and we go over, you know, we do like little daily affirmations to kind of start our day right. And so those are all important elements. And, you know, there are others that I've been doing, eating well, uh, exercising, getting enough sleep. Uh, I've, I've really been prioritizing all that stuff. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, next couple of questions I've got for you, Jacob, are questions that we ask of all of our guests. Okay, the standard questions we ask of all of our guests, and then we do clever things with them, like cut them up and use clip shows and whatnot later on. Uh, the first one, in one minute or less, can you share one piece of advice or some direction that you were given by a mentor, leader, or colleague that inspired you to perform at a higher level in your career? Well, the best piece of advice I was ever given was from my dad. And, uh, you know, I, I he probably saw it on a bumper sticker, but he always told me, try to be a leader, not a follower. Uh, you know, get out of your comfort zone, lead the way, um, do something different, um, you know, and and so that's been kind of an important thing for me. And the next question, feel free to take longer than 60 seconds. Uh, from a culture and people processes perspective, Jacob, what does a high-performing company mean to you? High-performing means that obviously there's kind of the results angle. Um, obviously, there's, you know, performing, um, making sure that you're closing deals, the company's growing, things of that nature. But it's also an environment where employees feel like they want to show up to work each day. It's an environment where leaders have the backs of their employees. It's an environment where you have a corporate culture where um, employees feel like they're valued. It's an environment where the employee experience is prioritized. So I think it's both. You're putting people first, but you're also making sure that you're not sacrificing um, the numbers or the growth as well. You need both of those elements, right? I mean, let's be real. It's, it is a business, but I don't think you need to sacrifice one for the other. I think they, you, you can do both at the same time and focusing on your people helps you, helps you get to those numbers. And just finally for today, Jacob, your late, latest book is called Leading with Vulnerability. You spoke about it just a moment ago. Uh, can you tell us how we can get a copy of your book? And of course, how can folks connect with you? Sure. So the book is called Leading with Vulnerability. We made a URL for it called leadwithvulnerability.com. And people who get a hardcover copy, there's some fun bonuses that you can get. Uh, the book is also available wherever you can find a book. Just type, you know, leading with vulnerability into whatever <laughs> bookstore you like. Uh, my email is jacob at the future organization in case people want to get in touch with me or have any questions. Perfect. Jacob Morgan, thank you very much for being our guest. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the People and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe.